From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. Today's Open Line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. All right, and we're very glad that you could join us for Open Line Monday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Uh, Jack Williams away today. I'm Tom Price along with Father John Tregilio. How are you today, Padre? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so glad that we could get you on. Uh, normally, I mean, this is one of those weird things where we're actually taping just a few <laughs> hours before we would normally be live, but that's because of a, a scheduling conflict, right? Oh, yeah. we having vocational directors and end-of-the-year formation meetings, and I have no idea what else. <laughs> it's a full <laughs> schedule, I know that. Well, I know that you're a very busy uh, person, so we're very glad you could carve out a little <laughs> little bit of time for us today. So today we're going to go through our mailbag and uh, see what is in there. I, I think there are some, yeah, I took a look, quick look here, there's some fascinating questions. I think you'll be able to help a lot of folks okay. with this, Father. So we're going to lead off here with an interesting one from Albert. Albert says, my wife and I are currently doing 33 days to morning glory. So what did St. Maximilian Kolbe mean when he said, quote, the Holy Spirit doesn't act except through the Immaculata, his spouse? This sounds to me like this is saying the Holy Spirit cannot act unless it is through the Virgin Mary. Is this correct? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. So the Holy Spirit is not contingent on uh, Mary, but it is by divine choice. Just like God did not have to give us seven sacraments, he could have given us three, he could have given us none, he didn't need 12 apostles, but he chose to do so. Uh, he could have uh, done things a lot differently, but uh, God freely chose uh, to use Mary, and he freely chose to invite her, and so her role is uh, ancillary. Uh, she's like the co-pilot of the plane. The, the pilot mm. still is the one who flies the plane. The sure. co-pilot uh, assists, but not out of necessity. It's just uh, it's nice to have uh, the co-pilot there. Oh yeah. And uh, so Mary's role is, is by God's choice, but not because God had to do it that way. Understood. Very good, Albert. Thanks so much for your email. Here's one now from Henrietta. She says, "I have a Protestant friend who thinks that bowing to statues of saints." is idolatry. How can I explain that Catholics don't worship statues? Yes. Um, the very act of bowing is not an act of worship um, any more than um, even uh, a genuflection because you know people curtsy to the Queen of England. Sure. You know, um, and people bow in the, in the Far East, I mean, in China and Japan yes. and mm -hmm. uh, other Eastern uh, countries. So the act of bowing is not an act of adoration or worship. Now, if a person did ascribe to the saint uh, whose image, or to the image itself, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the pagan uh, problem with idolatry, is not only do they have false gods, but they made inanimate objects uh, into gods. Uh, our respect for the image is for the person that it represents and because that person is a friend of Jesus. Very good. We're doing a special uh, mailbag edition of Open Line today with Father John Tregilio, so can't take your phone calls, but please enjoy uh, these very important questions that we've received over the past couple of weeks. Here's one now from Robert, who says, My understanding is that St. Peter died before St. John did. So my question is, would St. John be subject to the Pope who followed Peter? Yes. 
that's an easy question. Short and sweet. Because uh, the, all the popes are successors of St. Peter. Okay. And St. John, even though he was the last of the apostles mm-hmm. and the last uh, of the evangelists, uh, he did not have the Petrine ministry. So uh, Peter, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, as we say in the yes. Roman canon. Okay, very good. So the pope is the pope. All right, here's one now from Penny. How can I defend Mary's sinlessness and explain why it is so important? Okay, her sinlessness, again, is not by um, necessity in the sense that God had to do it that way, but it's fitting and right uh, that uh, Mary be free from all sin, because not only was she the mother of Jesus in the sense that you know he dwelt within her womb for nine months, but she also was really and truly his, his uh, human mother. He was gonna, she raised him uh, as a child into his uh, adolescence and adulthood, and uh, because of that singular grace of the Immaculate Conception, uh, it, it would seem proper that God would give her uh, that particular grace that she remained sinless. Again, not because she earned it. This was a free gift God gave to her so that not only she could give Jesus his untainted human nature, but that so she could stay close and united to him. All right. Thanks, Penny, for your uh, email. Here's one now from Kevin in John 20. Thomas was absent when Jesus gave the apostles the power to forgive sins. So, did St. Thomas ever have this power? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised none of my seminarians had me that in class. <laughs> uh, yes, because as one of the uh, apostles, uh, he did receive the gift. Um, it, it is believed that he then, I mean, Jesus gave it to him um, at some point because uh, he obviously wanted St. Thomas to continue, uh, because we call the, the bishops the successor of the apostles, plural, whereas the popes are the successor of St. Peter, singular. So at what particular moment, uh, definitely by the time of Pentecost, mm. because then they were sent out, and that's when they started their, their, their great public ministry, but um, it, it could have, what's in the scripture is not the only things that Jesus said and did, as St. John himself tells us. Okay, very good. Kevin, thanks so much for your question. Here's one now from Marcus, who says, A Catholic priest once said that a universal God should have revealed a universal religion. Why didn't he? (laughs) He did. He did. I mean, the word we use, Catholic, uh, comes from the Greek word katholikos, which Mm -hmm. means universal. So even though people may not today recognize that, uh, that's the name that uh, was used going all the way back to the the first century. This wasn't something that was coined uh, by the Emperor Constantine, as some people allege, uh, but this was going back to St. Irenaeus and others that um, the church was Catholic in the sense that it was uh, universal. It covers you know, both the East and the West, you know, uh-huh. the two lungs of the church. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. It's a special ma- mailbag edition of Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN. By the way, if you'd like to send us an email for a future show, here is the address. Openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. Be sure that you put either uh, Father John in the subject line or Monday in the subject line or even uh, apologetics in the subject line so that we can uh, you know, match the right host with the right uh, question here. Here's one now from Jenny. I feel like the last that we hear about Mary is in the upper room. Can you tell me any other details after that? Well, she is, um, um, obviously, when the church believes that and teaches that uh, she is the woman that's 
portrayed in the in the book of Revelation or the book of, of the Apocalypse. In chapter 12, there appeared in the sky a great sign, the woman clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet on her head, a crown of 12 stars. The mm-hmm. woman uh-huh. in Revelation 12 is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis 3 where God says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me, very good. Uh, Leonard has this question. Did Catholics always receive the Eucharist, or did only the priest receive the Eucharist in the early Church? Yes, the the, the Holy Eucharist was received by everyone, uh, because that was the point of Jesus feeding the multitude with the the, the physical bread, the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, uh, the manna. Obviously, in the Old Testament, was given to everyone, not just Moses and the and the Levites. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Holy Communion, the U- Holy Eucharist was from day one intended to uh, be given to those who were in the proper disposition, but to clergy and laity as well. All right, very good. And Randall has this question. Why do we say at Mass that I have gravely sinned if we are supposed to be in a state of grace? Because some of us uh, just recently went to confession. Ah. (laughs) Um, It's very difficult to stay uh, perpetually in the state of grace without a special gift of grace like the Virgin Mary. And so it's not saying that you or I just committed a mortal sin before Mass, because obviously we wouldn't be able to receive communion without going to confession first, but we have sinned not only in little things, but in big things as well. So, Father, let me just ask as a as a, an aside here, do you think that uh, people uh, are really understanding of, you know, when to go to confession, when not to go to confession? What do you think? Well, I think the people who do go, and I'm always edified by the the amount of people that, that uh, have come back to confession, especially uh, after the, the, the COVID uh, mm-hmm. uh, pandemic. But I remember when I was a kid, every Saturday, me and my my mother would take me and my brothers, and you would see a line yeah. for maybe an hour or so. And everybody went to confession on Saturday because everybody then went to communion on Sunday. And um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, it kind of dropped off because people had a bizarre idea of sin that wasn't really that bad or Mm -hmm. really didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But I would say I see a return of it, particularly, you know, not just around Divine Mercy Sunday, obviously, but people realize that there's sin in the world. I mean, you see what's going on in the Ukraine. You see what's going on, the crime and terrorism. Um, So I think people realize there is evil and that the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is the best remedy. Randall, thank you so much uh, for your email. We're going to get to a lot more on this special mailbag edition of Open Line Monday here on EWTN with Father John Tregilio. Do stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Today's open line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. Hey, very glad to be with you on this special mailbag edition of Open Line Monday here on EWTN. And as the man just said, if you'd like to send us an email for a future show, that email address is always available for you, and the address is openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. 
All right, I want to tell you a little about uh, something wonderful that we offer for you here on EWTN, and that is a platform that you may not be familiar with, and it's called EWTN Radio Essentials. Now, that's not the EWTN radio that you're listening to right now. This is a separate channel strictly devoted, uh, devoted to teaching and devotionals. My goodness, it is a wonderful channel where you can hear teachings from the great uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, um, many priests and uh, lay leaders uh, instructing what it's like to be a Catholic, how to live the Catholic life. It is fantastic. I'm thinking right now of uh, the great Father Benedict Groeschel, who has led so many series here on EWTN Radio. He's got a big part in uh, the uh, channel EWTN Radio Essentials. And we're certainly not leaving devotionals out of all that. Uh, You can hear the rosary, my goodness, I believe four times a day, including a special rosary just for the kids. We've also got uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy several times per hour. The Mass is heard, my goodness, every two hours from 8 a.m. Eastern all the way up until midnight, only on EWTN Radio Essentials. Now, how do you listen to it? Well, we've got a special channel for just for you. First of all, you can listen by the EWTN app, which is an absolutely free download. And then once you've got it, you can just click on radio, click on EWTN Radio Essentials, and you can access all of our great essentials programming. You can also hear it uh, on online by going to EWTNRadio.net, EWTNRadio.net. So do give that a chance. Uh, EWTN Radio Essentials, it is just for you. All right, back to some of these great questions that we have for you now here on the Mailbag Edition of Open Line Monday with Father John. Uh, first of all, this question from Terrence. What is the Church's stance on marijuana now that it's legal in many states? Is it treated like alcohol? What do you think, Father? Uh, I don't think it is. There's no definitive de fide uh, judgment, but I think the prudential judgment, which is very solid, of the Church is to discourage the use of marijuana, because even though people, some people may maintain that it's not as... Uh, uh, addictive as possibly uh, alcohol, um, and I certainly you know alcohol is dangerous because my brother was killed by a drunk driver. But um, the problem is that marijuana can be and is for many people a gateway to other more serious um, uh, drugs and drug addictions. And um, people, when they have a loss of inhibitions, uh, can be more susceptible to occasions of sin. Um, so. Even though it's legally in the civil sense, I think morally uh, it's still not a good thing uh, to to use. Sure. So even if it's legal where you live, that's just civil positive law, human law. Uh, in terms of the natural moral law, I think uh, most moral theologians are either say it's a full-blown sin or mm-hmm. it's certainly strongly discouraged. Now, I sure. know some people have to because they have glaucoma or some other uh, serious illness that their doctor prescribes, and that's a different matter. Sure. Understood. Terrence, thanks so much for your question. Here's one from Mindy. My father-in-law is of the opinion that man was created with a spiritual body in the first Genesis account of creation, and then Adam was created in the second account. So first man, then Adam. How do I address his opinion? Yeah, very respectfully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds more like a, um, a idea of, of from Plato, the Greek pagan philosopher, because he had this idea of a world of universal, so that um, there was, the, and in his mind, there's 
uh, in the universal realm, the universal man, the universal woman, the universal tree, and then in the physical dimension, the physical world or universe, we have particulars that mirror the universal. But Aristotle and certainly uh, the Judeo-Christian religion, we don't see it in, in the way that Plato did. Uh, it's more that uh, we have two different stories of creation in Genesis because each one's telling it from a different perspective. Uh-huh. Uh, in one story, you know, you got man and woman being created at the same time. and the other one, uh, man, then the animals, and then finally uh, the woman Eve. So uh, they're not in competition with, with each other. They don't contradict each other. They're, each one is telling the story of creation from a different perspective. All right. Mindy, thanks for your question. Pete says, I am a Protestant. I was talking to some friends, and the idea of indulgences came up. So what is the church's teaching on indulgences, and what is the scriptural and historical basis for that teaching? And uh, finally, what were the objections raised to that during the Reformation? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Well, that, that could be a show right in its <laughs> It is, it is. Um, Martin Luther went a little bit too far because uh, he threw the baby out with the bathwater because uh, there were some abuses, but not in terms of the theology of indulgence, but with the practice of it by certain individuals. Uh, so, first of all, simony is the sin of selling spiritual things, uh, like uh, Simon the Magician in the New Testament uh, asked Peter to ordain him, and he refuses, and you know he ends up jumping out of a tower <laughs> to oh, his demise. Yeah. Um, so indulgences are not a way, a get-out-of-jail-free card, that if you do certain things, then uh, your sentence in purgatory gets, gets wiped off the, the record, so to speak. What it is is an application of the infinite merits of Christ, because mm-hmm. Jesus' death on the cross was infinite value, and then the superabundant uh, merit of Mary and the, and the saints, particularly the martyrs. So the treasury of merit, it's not... Uh, finances, all right? People hear the word treasury, and that's what they think of. But this, we're talking about grace. And so when one does a, a spiritual act in which there is a, um, indulgence, like with the divine mercy, you have to be properly disposed. You have to receive communion. You have to um, go to confession. You have to be free even from venial sin. So if somebody thinks they're going to get out of uh, purgatory uh, a shortcut just because you know they, they do a certain work, uh, whether it's making a pilgrimage or praying the rosary before the blessed sacrament, that's the work, but then the other things have to be present as well. And if somebody's not in the proper spiritual disposition, if they have a um, no sorrow or contrition or f- purpose of amendment, they're going to get uh, the indulgence. But if they are properly disposed, because Jesus gave the keys to Peter and says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And so that binding and loosening is part of uh, the spiritual value of the indulgences that the church applies uh, that were given to us by Christ, and they apply to particular persons. Okay, very good. Glad we could unpack that. It is a special mailbag edition of uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN. I'm going to play uh, an email, actually a voicemail that we received overnight on our EWTN listener comment line. Hi, my name's Adam. How does the Catholic Church handle... John 3.16, specifically the part about you won't perish if you believe in my Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Um, does that not confirm salvation for a person who 
believes in God, he truly believes that, does that not give salvation to that individual? Thank you. Okay. Okay, well, uh, you know, that that statement is certainly inspired, uh, inerrant, infallible, because it's in sacred scripture. But to give it the proper context, all right, uh, there's um, a beautiful letter um, that was um, official church teaching, the magisterial teaching, Dominus Jesus, that explains that the Catholic Church is the true church, and salvation mm-hmm. comes through Christ and his church. But some people can, uh, un, through no fault of their own, still participate in that, all right, if, if, if they're what we call have invincible ignorance. So belief in Jesus is necessary if one knows that Jesus truly uh, exists, mm-hmm. that he died and he rose, and it's not their fault. They're not rejecting what was revealed to them uh, properly. Problem is, some people don't reveal it in its proper way, or some people don't hear the full message. And uh, as we see in, in St. James, you know, it's not by faith alone. It's faith and works, which are both motivated by grace. So my belief in Jesus Christ, the belief itself, uh, it must be coincide with my cooperation and participation in God's grace. So it's not just, okay, I believe in Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, that's it. Because look at the great works, the good that is done yeah. by our, our non-Catholic uh, Christian brethren. I mean, if they, if they truly believe that it wasn't uh, important, they wouldn't be doing all these wonderful things. They have, uh, you know, Lutheran social services, which is like Catholic charities, and, uh-huh. you know, they do visit the sick. They, per, you know, even if they don't call them the corporate works of mercy, they're practicing them. So uh, the proof's in the pudding. Yes, yes, indeed. Appreciate that. Thank you for checking in on our listener comment line. Here's a question now from Gary. What is the relevance of the fact that women have received the stigmata? And Father, you might unpack exactly what we're talking about when we use a term like stigmata. Yeah, the stigmata is uh, a manifestation of the wounds of Christ, either one or all five of the wounds, his hands and his feet and his side, mm-hmm. um, uh, that Jesus, you know, the, the instruments of his passion, like Padre Pio um, had the stigmata, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, I believe um, maybe Catherine of Siena did. Uh-huh. Um, now, when women, all right, like St. Saint Catherine or any uh, female saint, um, that's not repugnant uh, in terms of our Catholic theology because uh, it doesn't give them any ability to celebrate Mass or the sacraments. They're not ordained a priest, but the stigmata is a manifestation. Um, it's obviously not exactly the same because Jesus's wounds, you know, parti- I mean, help contribute to his death. Uh, no saint dies from uh, the stigmata, and in like Padre Pio's case, you know, the wounds would stop bleeding at some points. After they're dead, they disappear because only Jesus uh, has still has his wounds in his glorified, resurrected body, whereas. The saints, uh, you know, they, they do not. It was only while they're, during their life here on earth. All right, very good. Here's a question now uh, from Christopher. What does the Catholic Church teach about how to attain eternal salvation? Okay, again, we want to make uh, good distinctions here. Pelagius was a heretic that uh, St. Augustine and the Church condemned who believed that you could get to heaven on your own. You can merit your way to heaven. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we just mentioned about Martin Luther believing that it was just by faith alone. Uh, St. James, as we say, it's part of the Bible. It's Holy Spirit inspired that text. Yeah. And we do not see anywhere in the Bible that it says it is by faith alone. Uh, James says it is not, 
but he's not discounting faith. Okay, faith is part of the equation. It's faith and works, which are motivated um, by God's grace. So, to attain salvation, you know, we must believe in Jesus. We must have faith, but we also must put that faith into practice. And Saint, or um, uh, I jumped my gun here, Pope. <laughs> Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict uh-huh. made it clear Catholicism is a religion of both uh, and not either or. Okay, and that's certainly good to keep in mind. You're listening to a special mailbag edition of Open Line Monday here on EWTN. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, I'd love to hear from you. The address is openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. Not taking your calls today, so uh, sit back and enjoy the uh, rest of our wonderful program here with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Today's Open Line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. We are dipping into the Open Line Monday mailbag here on EWTN with Father John Tregilio. And I'd like to take just a moment here to uh, say hi to everybody listening to us on KHQR. That is FM 99.9 in Harlingen, Texas, very close to the border there. They are celebrating this week their fourth anniversary. So congratulations to KHQR, now celebrating four years of solid EWTN Catholic Radio. Father, we're going to jump back into the mailbag here. Here's a question from Leanne who says, I have been studying Catholicism and I'm having trouble reconciling purgatory. Could you please explain purgatory? Yes. First of all, purgatory is not a prison. Okay. And it's not hell with parole. (laughs) Some people have this image. Um, The description of purgatory from uh, Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, uh, it's a poetic, fictional all right, it's allegorical, but it's not doctrinal. So the uh, descriptions that Dante uses in there were certainly influenced by church teaching, but it is not doctrine. Now, what this, the catechism tells us, and that's church teaching, uh, purgatory is not a place, it's a state. It's a state of cleansing. From The, the word purgatory comes from purgatus, mm-hmm. which means to cleanse. And so uh, the belief is that some people live such a holy and virtuous Life, they go straight to heaven. Other people, God forbid, you know, they live an evil life. They die in a state of, of moral sin. Uh, they'll end up in hell. But there's a good portion of people that, you know, they're not bad enough to go to hell, but they're not, they didn't live uh, a life that necessarily meant they go directly to heaven. Uh-huh. So they may have some attachment uh, to sin. So uh, purgatory is the temporal punishment uh, to sin that wasn't uh, rem- uh, remitted here on earth. So again, I don't like using a penal thing like, well, you know, it's like a, a felony or a misdemeanor. Are you in uh, the state penitentiary or the federal prison system? No. Uh, it's more like if you use a medicinal uh, analogy mm-hmm. that um, purgatory uh, allows you to see sin as God sees it. And you yourself want to be there because you want to be cleansed of any and all attachment to sin. So when I was a hospital chaplain and I would go visit somebody in isolation, the nurse made me scrub my hands so much they would like be like bright red, mm. okay? And it wasn't comfortable, but you knew 
that you were clean at that point because yeah. there were the, a lot of this uh, the germs are invisible and a lot of times the venial sins that we've been doing in life don't jump out at us right away or we say well at least they're not mortal sins so if i don't murder someone okay so i i just get angry well Jesus warns us about getting angry with our brother, uh, looking lustfully at someone. It's not just the physical act. It's also, you know, what's in our imagination and in our will. So purgatory, again, is an opportunity to uh, finish up the business. And we see it based, uh, not exclusively, but in a good way uh, in the book of Maccabees, in the Old Testament, where you had some Hebrew soldiers who died uh, defending the Jewish faith? Uh, they were, but when they found their body, dead bodies, they found things on them, some lucky uh, charms and amulets, whatever. So they prayed for them. They they prayed for the dead. Now, praying for the dead only can be effective if one, if in hell prayers do you no good. You can't get out of hell. If you're in heaven, you don't need prayers. Yeah. So there must be some must be some midway in which prayers for the dead can be efficacious, and so. The people in purgatory, again, they're not in prison. You're trying to get them out on a light sentence. Uh, they're sort of like in the ER waiting room, okay? Mm, yeah. uh, you know, everyone knows what that's like. And uh, you're waiting for the doctor to treat you and then to discharge you, okay? And in this analogy, the big discharge is to get to heaven. But you want to be there. You want to be cleansed. It's like taking an electron microscope and seeing what a dust might looks like. You can't Ooh. see it with your eyeball. But when you look at it through the uh, that uh, prism, uh-huh. you say, "Ew!" Yeah, and that's what purgatory does. It shows us how even one single venial sin is 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 bad for us. Okay, yeah. not that it gets us uh, condemned to hell, but we shouldn't be um, you know comfortable with it. So, Father, do you remember when uh, Mother Angelica used to say, "Don't aim for purgatory"? <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people say, oh, "I'll be I'll be glad if I just get to purgatory." You know, you got to shoot for the top. You're supposed to. Uh, she made that other statement. You know, we're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, the universal call to holiness means that God wants us to be saints, and sainthood means you get to heaven. Now, some people say, "Well, if I get there eventually, well, you know, that's almost like saying I'll take the long way, even though it's more traffic and more aggravation." No, <laughs> if you want to go home, yeah. you take the shortcut. If especially if it's smooth sailing and you get there quicker, but. Um, purgatory is there for a, a reason. It's not a goal that we should want, right. but it's also comforting to know. And that's why when people die, all right, have a mass said for them because you don't know they may be still being cleansed. Mm-hmm. And all too often, I was a pastor for 16 years, people stop having masses said for their uh, dead loved ones because priests were canonizing them at the funeral. Yeah, you know they didn't need it. No. Have a mass offered uh, more than once uh, for your loved one, because if they are in purgatory, um, prayers, especially the mass, are the most efficacious. Yes, indeed. Thanks for unpacking that, Father. We're doing a special mailbag edition of Open Line Monday here on EWTN. Let's go to one of those uh, uh, consumer—consumer, listen to me— Let's let's go to one of those. Consumer uh, alert. <laughs> that's right. This is actually uh, this this phone call came in overnight on our listener comment line. Yes, hello. My name is Mike. I have a question for Father John Tragelio, and this is regarding the special prayer. Some take the form of novenas. How do those work? Also, I wanted to know, where did the practice of penance prayers come about? Okay, so two questions there, Father. 
Okay. Uh, well, novena is, is an ancient practice. It comes from the word for nine. Uh, so for nine days, one uh, says some prayers for a particular um, intention. And typically, uh, it's tied in so that the novena ends either on the day of or the day before uh, the the saint in which one is asking for that intercession. So, um, you know, we we always would have a novena to St. Joseph uh, beginning, um, you know, nine days before his feast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's novenas to St. Jude, St. Anthony. Uh, a lot. I mean, there are lots of novenas, and you um, you say these prayers, and again, they're not magic. So, just you saying those prayers for nine days doesn't mean that this is going to happen exactly the way you want or expect. But you're open to, uh, as Jesus said in the garden, you know, if possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, yours be done. You're open to whatever God is going to do, but you're also following his suggestion. He said, if, you know, uh, asking you shall receive. He just doesn't care. He, he just merely doesn't guarantee, though, what your answer is going to be or when it's going to take place. So novenas go back to ancient times. Uh, uh, again, nine days uh, is um, something that has been throughout uh, Christian history. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that it's a nice way in which it gets the parish involved, uh, especially the people who come to we- uh, daily mass, because uh, the, the, the nine days take place usually through the week and maybe include one or two uh, weekends. Mm-hmm. But you can go online and find all these. I know at the EWTN um, bookstore and the religious catalog, uh-huh. there's little pamphlets and brochures on all kinds of novenas. And you can do them at home. You can do them in church. Uh, again, this is not worship or adoration. That's forbidden by the first commandment. Right. But this is intercession. Uh, we're asking the saint or the Virgin Mary to uh, plead our cause to the one mediator, Jesus. Okay. And did you answer his second question there, Father? Uh, about uh, penance prayers. Yes. Um, if, if he's talking about the, the the penance that people are asked to uh-huh. do, uh-huh. um that's the, the that's how you make satisfaction because the priest will say for your penance say three hail marys to our fathers whatever mm-hmm. it might be mm-hmm. or uh, may say the memorari or rosary. Uh, sometimes they might get a little bit more creative. Uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, if somebody did a big big sin, their penance might be well uh, make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land oh, or wow. to Lourdes or Fatima um, because the penance cannot be odious. Uh, a person can always say to the to the priest in confession, Father, I don't think I'm able to fulfill that. So then he has to adjust his penance. It's not like going to court and, you know, once your sentence has been the gavel's there, <laughs> you're, you're stuck with it. You can ask the priest, say, can I do something different? Or I didn't something? know that. Yeah. Really? Yes. I had no idea. Fascinating. Yeah, sometimes people, you know, and even if it's some prayers, because I remember when I uh, gave some penances out and, and people said to me, I don't know that prayer, Father. I said, okay, <laughs> I'll adjust it, okay, <laughs> to a yeah, different prayer. Very good. All right, well, thank you very much uh, for your listener comment line. I do appreciate that. All right, let's go now to this question from Tim. What is the Catholic position regarding the gifts of the Spirit? And I'm thinking here specifically of speaking in tongues. Yes, that just came up recently with some of our seminarians. Mm. Uh, the the phenomena of speaking in tongues is called glossolalia. That's the technical theological term. Uh-huh. And the speaking of tongues uh, that people experience today is different from the one uh, that the apostles experienced at Pentecost. At Pentecost, St. Peter and the other apostles 
spoke their native language, mm-hmm. and the people hearing them heard them in their native tongue. So a Roman soldier would hear Latin while Peter was speaking Aramaic. Somebody from um, Crete would hear Greek. Uh, somebody from Gaul would hear uh, French, I mean, well, ancient, <laughs> archaic French, whatever it might be. Um, that was the, the uh, apostolic uh, Pentecost experience of, of uh, speaking in tongues. Today, among charismatic Christians, whether it's Catholic charismatics or Protestant charismatics, the speaking of tongues is a bit different where it's not that someone says something and everybody in the room can understand them in their native tongue. What happens is somebody speaks a language and uh, they're speaking in tongues and there needs to be someone who is able to interpret that message. Mm-hmm. Um, but you cannot demand and say, I want the gift of tongues or I want the gift of uh, interpreting tongues or I want the gift of prophecy. They're gifts. You don't demand the gift. Okay, right. God decides what gift you get and when and how much of it. Um, so I believe the phenomenon exists just like healing. Some people are physically healed, um, outside the sacrament of anointing of the sick. Sometimes, you know, when I anoint somebody, they actually get better. But when a Christian puts hands on someone's head and they're healed, I, I ascribe that to the Holy Spirit. But again, you cannot demand it. And if it doesn't happen, you can't get bummed down and say, oh, God's mad at me or, you know, what went wrong. Yeah. It just wasn't part of his divine will. Very good. Tim, thanks so much for your question. We're doing the uh, mailbag edition of Open Line Monday here on EWTN Radio today with Father John Tregilio. I want to tell you about uh, Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN TV and radio. And on tomorrow night's show, Mother guides her listeners and viewers on how to counter pride with charity and justice. Mother's timeless uh, wisdom, it's always coming through on every show she does. And uh, we're just so blessed to have these great programs for you. Mother Angelica Live Classics, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. I was on one of those ones. <laughs> yes, you were back in the day. Do you remember I that? Gave, I gave her a five-pound uh, Hershey bar. <laughs> well. And then she tells me, nice thing to give a diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you've been a uh, you've been a regular on EWTN ever since. So that was pretty yes, good. Yes, me and Father Levis, and then me and Father Briganti. We were, and I always brought my mother along when she was alive. God bless her. Yeah. She would sit in the front row, and they don't. Um, Deacon Bill Stuntmeyer always made sure that the cameraman zoomed in on her hat every now and then. Isn't that sweet? That's wonderful. Well, let's go now to a question from Philip. Is there a conflict with Marian appearances and what is said in those appearances? versus what Paul says in Galatians 1.8. And here's the quote, But though we or an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you, let him be anathema. Are you familiar with that, Father? Yes, and uh, you know it, that is a true statement, and that's why when there is an alleged Marian apparition or uh-huh. uh, locution, um, I, I knew this wonderful, holy, devout, uh, Dominican priest, Father uh, Fred Jelly, he used to teach at Mount St. Mary Seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a, a Mariologist, and he was asked by the Vatican to investigate some instances of, of a purported Marian apparition. He said, look, it's not just uh, cut and dry where, oh, it's, uh, it's of the devil, the person's a fake, or this was definitely Mary. He said there's middle ground where there may not be enough evidence either way to to support uh-huh. or to uh, deny that this was of supernatural origin. Was it supernatural evil? Was it supernatural good? Was this person legit? Were they crooked? 
Um, maybe this is a misinterpretation. Um, but if at any point, if the if the message of the apparition contradicts sacred scripture and or sacred um, tradition, uh-huh. then it's decided that it is not authentic because Mary's not going to contradict her son or her spouse, the Holy right, Spirit. Right. So if there, if like some of those more bizarre ones where they were saying that um, Pope Paul the Sixth wasn't, uh, he was being he was kidnapped and some guy was impersonating him. Uh, or was telling people, you know, that um, everybody was going to hell. Uh, anytime the message contradicts what is part of divine revelation, because mm-hmm. the apparitions, even when they're authenticated, are still private revelation. So they cannot trump what was said uh, or taught uh, through divine public revelation. Understood. Very good. Philip, thanks so much uh, for your question. Let's go to uh, one of those questions that came to us overnight on our EWTN listener comment line. My name is Don here in Omaha, and uh, I have a question. If an older person has a uh, heart chest pain, that normally would call an ambulance, is it permissible just to not call and, and uh, like similar to do not resuscitate? I don't know how many people have this question, but uh, if you've got an answer, I'd like to hear it. All right. Okay. No, that's, that's a reasonable question, and certainly the do not resuscitate um, protocol, which is used a lot in nursing homes and hostels, but even people who are confined to home who have a serious illness. If you're dying of some disease like cancer or some other condition and you're old and frail or the, the disease is progressing uh, horribly, you're allowed to ask for a do not resuscitate because uh, it's considered extraordinary means at that point. But if your illness is not life-threatening, if you have a wife and kids or a husband and kids, you have obligations and there's only one, the only issue is your heart, then you need ordinary um, treatment. So whether it's uh, CPR or, you know, uh, defibrillator or something like that. But for instance, like if you're like a 98-year-old per, person with, with frail bones, uh-huh. you cracking the their ribs and giving them CPR and then they're just going to live another couple of months in agony because of that, you're allowed to say, do not resuscitate. That is not considered euthanasia. Uh, it's not uh, causing death. It's allowing the natural death process to continue. Sure. But you can never directly cause the death. And you can't, um, you know, there's passive euthanasia where you withhold life-saving treatment that's considered ordinary. Okay. Glad we could clear that up. And thanks so much for your phone call to our listener comment line. Uh, that thing is on uh, 24 hours a day. So even when we're not doing a live show like open line or women of grace or call to communion or take two with Jerry and Debbie. Uh, The listener comment line is always there for you. And so you could just call our regular number and it'll, uh, it'll sort of uh, forward over to that line. And uh, we we love, you know, answering those questions as well. Uh, Beth has this question. Can you please help me explain to Protestants about praying to saints? Yes. Uh, We first make up the point that uh, praying to saint is not, uh, idolatry, because mm. one form of prayer is adoration and worship, and that is exclusive to God. That's the first commandment. But there's also another form of prayer called petition. And if I am going to have my appendix out and I say, uh, "Hey, uh, Fred, could you pray for me tomorrow?" That's not. I'm not pushing Jesus out of the way. Right. I'm not saying he's the not, no longer the one mediator. Now, Fred says to me, "No, I'm not going to pray for you. If you <laughs> want healing, you go directly to Jesus." That's that's accurate, 
but it's not Christian, okay? Yeah, yeah. You say, I'd be happy to pray for you, because St. Paul prayed for the Corinthians. He asked the Corinthians to pray for him. So one mediator is Jesus. Mary and the saints are intercessors. And we see this in the gospel when Jairus intercedes for his daughter, when the Roman centurion uh, intercedes for his servant boy. Uh, Jesus at no point says to these people, no, if that person wants to be healed, they need to come to me directly. That's the only way it works. He invites people to participate by their intercession to him as the mediator. So us praying to saints, we're not adoring or worshiping them, but what we are doing is asking for their intercession. And they're always interceding to Jesus, all right, on our behalf, because that's what we call the communion saints. So if I can ask a living person, for their prayers. I could certainly ask someone who's in heaven. And what I'm always amazed at is some of our non-Catholic uh, uh, Christian brethren who are a little squeamish about praying to the saints for an intercession. They do a wonderful job of interceding for each other here on earth. Yeah, Their, their prayer chains make, make us look puny. <laughs> Love that. Beth, thank you so much for your call. Here's a question now from Francis, and one, quite honestly, I had never considered. Francis says, in the New Testament, the, the term saint refers to the living Christians. So at what point did the term saint change to those who were granted a certain spiritual stature posthumously? Yeah, it's an allegorical, uh, analogous use of the word saint. Okay. Um, because just like if in, in the Latin text, okay, they'll use uh, what's the equivalent of the English blessed um, for someone who's a saint. So with the new... Uh, third edition of the Roman Missal in English, um, some people might notice, well, why did you say uh, Blessed Pius V instead of St. Pius V? Well, because uh, the Latin text, Beatus, all right, has the same meaning, all right, but we also have, in a technical sense, uh, in the English, Blessed is someone who's beatified, Saint is someone who's been canonized. Mm. So there's a precise interpretation, and then there's we call an analogous one. So with sacred scripture, because um, you know Jesus even uses that play on words uh, when he uses the word uh, talks about the angels in heaven, uh-huh. uh, the, the Son of Man. Okay, uh, there are different ways words can be interpreted. There's the uh, univocal, uh, literal uh, sense. But there's also uh, the analogous sense. And so uh, both are, are acceptable if you know the context. And that's something Father Levis always said on our TV show, Web uh-huh. of Faith. Uh, a text taken out of context is a pretext. Okay. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, Francis, thanks so much for your question. Here's one now from John. Why do Catholics speak so much about the Church instead of speaking about Jesus and his teachings? The two are the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the church is Jesus. It's his mystical body. Um, that's not just, I mean, obviously it's beautifully uh, um, taught uh, by Pope Pius XII, Mr. G. Corpus. It's in the Catechism. But St. Paul, St. Paul himself in his epistles, yeah. all right, talks about, you know, there's one body, many members, and that body is the body of Christ. That's what we call the church. That's why. When Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, or I was thirsty, you did not give me anything to drink, people will say, well, I didn't see Jesus hungry or thirsty. When you did it or did not do it for one of your least brethren, you did it to me. That's the idea of the mystical body. So that what, like my, I just 
um, fracture my little little toe uh, last week. Oh. That's me, all right? Uh, you might say, well, it's just your little toe, but guess what? It's connected to me. Uh, I'm concerned about it. It's certainly not life-threatening like my heart or my uh, liver or anything like that, but you, you stub your toe or something like that, it hurts. Um, conversely, then, uh, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about just an institution. We're talking about the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church as a groom loves his bride. That's in the scriptures. So the church is something alive. It's organic. It's uh, the mystical body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. All right. It's the extension of Jesus. And so when he says, he who hears you hears me, you can believe that Jesus is speaking through his church because he says to Peter, thou art Peter, upon this rock I, Jesus, will build my church. Mm -hmm. It's his church. So for us to not talk about the church would be disrespectful and disobedient to Christ. Yes, indeed. John, thanks so much for your question. Sorry, uh, Father, very sorry to hear about your toe. How did that, <laughs> how did that happen? Oh, well, I had a root canal on Tuesday. I had one on Thursday. Friday, I, I, had, I had taken a pain pill. I was a little groggy, and when I got out of bed, I rammed it up against the bedpost oh. on the floor, oh, boy. and um, a few Italian words came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. So tell me this. In, instead of yeah. calling it ambulance, did they call a tow truck? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's terrible. Oh, that's good. Ah, that's terrible. I'll tell you, what was funny was when I went to the dentist, they had a statue of St. Apollonia. She's the patron saint for dentists and people who have dental problems. Uh -huh. uh, and part of her martyrdom was they took out her teeth. So I said, oh, this is edifying. You see St. Apollonia in the office. But then when I look closer, she's got a bowl of teeth. Ooh. So that got me nervous. Oh, I would think so. <laughs> we're going to close out with this question from Brent. How were the books of the Bible chosen? Okay, they were chosen by the church, okay? Because the Bible itself does not give us a list of the books of the Bible, right, okay? The canon right. of Scripture was determined by the church because she has the authority from Christ. Because if it's sola scriptura, the Scriptures alone, then you say, well, there's no list. Not only is there no list in the Bible, the chapter and verse came from the church, yeah. all right? So for the first, uh, you know, uh, almost 1,000 years, there was no, like, John 3, 16, you would think 316 meant it was three three in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> it was an Archbishop of, of England, uh, Langton, who said, you know, this would be easy to manage if we gave it chapter numbers and verse numbers. So the church determined by her authority what books belong in the Bible. All right, very good. Father, could you leave us with your blessing, please? Absolutely. Benedicta vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Father, thank you so much for uh, for your prayer, of course, your blessing, and for uh, jumping in on a, on a short notice here to <laughs> fill in on EWTN's Open Line Monday. Thank you, Father. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Be sure to join us tomorrow at the same time, and when uh, Father Wade Menezes will be here to answer your questions on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Until then, I'm Tom Price. Have a wonderful day. God bless.